on the seventh episode of the Generations End podcast, and Jeremy's back on the show. What's going on, dude? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I was just excited to come back because I had so much fun the first time. So here we are. Yeah, dude, your episode was great. A lot of people liked it. And we're bringing you back on the show today to talk about the ninth generation of consoles. And that's pretty exciting because there's some there's some of your, uh, you know, normal players in there. There's also a couple wild cards. I think the wild cards are the most interesting to talk about. Right. So we're going to get into, obviously, everyone knows about the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X coming out, but not a lot of people know about two other consoles that seem very interesting, one being the Intellivision Amico, and then the other mm -hmm. one being the Analog Pocket. Now, the thing about the ninth generation of consoles that is important to note is due to what's going on in the world right now, they're expected to come out in 2020. I personally think that the amount of devices that are going to be available to purchase is going to be very limited. You might be able to go to a local store like a Target or Walmart or something, and there might be only a handful of PlayStation 5s or a handful of Xbox Series Xs. Yeah, I honestly don't expect it to be a very large launch, especially because people are so discouraged to go to stores. And I know that like production of these consoles has been limited too. I know, for example, the I know this isn't a new console, but the Switch's production has been limited because of like their worry, the concerns of the situation that's going on right now. And Switches are like sold out everywhere. Right. And I don't know if you heard this, but people are actually like tr trying to make their homemade Switch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? You, oh, you didn't hear this? I'll, I'll have a I link to this. this in the show notes, actually. But Spawn Wave Media did a video recently that people on eBay are actually scalping used Nintendo Switch parts, like components and stuff like that. Like they're stripping their Switch down. They're selling the components for a price, and people are buying the different components of the Switch and trying to piecemeal them together to make their own version of the Switch. That's actually amazing. <laughs> and it's funny because I was yeah. I was looking at um, Switches online because one of my friends was interested in getting one. So I was just taking a look at like the prices. They're pretty high right now. But um, <laughs> no, they're crazy uh, high. There was some that was like Switch doesn't work, parts only for like. 200 bucks and i was like oh wow okay so i guess that's for those people who are um you know scavenging old switches right so that yeah that's that's exactly what they're doing dude they're scavenging switch parts and they're trying to like piecemeal them together and whether it's you know whether it's it's a good idea or not you know it depends how how well you are at managing and handling the tech but that's how crazy it is to get a switch right now and I personally feel that for really all these ninth generation of consoles, it's going to be This is the crazy. ninth generation? This is the ninth generation. Dude. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. It's crazy, dude. We're already in the ninth generation, but it's going to be hard to get your hands on all these consoles. The only generation I want to be in is Generation Zen, am I right? Uh, <laughs> Yo, hey. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Um, all right. So let's just get right into this, Jeremy, because I want to start with this. This is... Maybe a little controversial for whatever reason. I don't really know why. But I want to start with the Intellivision Amico. Now, Intellivision used to be a console company way back in the early 80s and 90s. And they used to make classic consoles that people uh, like today. And some of the famous games are on there being like Earthworm Jim and stuff like that. Tommy Tellerico, who is very famous in the gaming industry, he's, uh, he's a musician, and he actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records award for most amount of video games ever worked on by an individual person. So he's been yeah, around. And, and I he, saw in that video, he has such a long list of 
credits to his name. It's incredible. Yeah, he worked on uh, Qatar Hero. He worked on uh, you know Earthworm Jim. You know, all kinds Tony of Hawk games. games. Tony Hawk games. Yeah. So this guy's been around, and, and Tommy is a great guy. And we're gonna get to um, you know how I think that Tommy Tallarico is going to be the reason why people buy this buy the Amico. The Amico basically is aiming to be a family couch co-op system. And it's going to be a very low-budget system. They're aiming to launch this device between $199 and $250 for the base model with a premium model of $299. And they're focusing, like I said, on couch co-op. So they want people to be able to pick these controllers up, play with a buddy, and play with family members, and play these all kinds of interactive experiences like that. Yeah, because I remember in his uh, video pitch, which I, I I'd say you could probably include that in the uh, whatever the notes area. Yeah, that be that's a very very great video. If you're if you have any interest in this console, I recommend checking it out. He kind of outlines how yeah, cooperative gaming has kind of turned into an experience where you are alone in your house and you're playing. You know, because because most games are have a limited split screen. I mean, Nintendo is really the only company that still even considers like split screen as a lucrative means of playing games, honestly. He was saying how he really valued that experience of playing a game with your friend in, in like inside the same space, which, you know, maybe now in this current situation, that's not super viable, but like in the future, it's going to be great. That was part of his pitch, and he seems really passionate about that part. And I think, you know, the idea of the gaming experience is something he seems like he really cares about. And that really sold me on his idea. Tommy is going really all out with his idea and then this this whole couch co-op family experience because the way that things are in terms of gaming like you said being isolated in your house and only playing with people online when the world comes back to normal whenever that's going to be we're going to see super high social interaction physically because we're used to seeing each other behind screens now and phone calls when we're able to start congregating and meeting up with people People are going to want a couch co-op experience. And to me, if that's the Miko's message and what they're really trying to show, I think that's going to be really beneficial for this console. And split-screen gaming is really going to uh, see an increase in popularity. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think, especially now, people are, are cooped up inside and they're on their phones all the time. People are getting going to get sick of social media. They're going to get sick of just playing things online and they're going to miss each other. So I think there's going to be like a heightened sense of need to interact with others. And if you want to play video games, what better way to play video games than in person with someone if you miss interacting with people, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and I think Tommy's point is he wants to basically make this in terms of the Wii where he knows, and he's very smart by doing this, he knows he's not going to be able to really go obviously toe-to-toe with Sony and Microsoft. And he says that in every interview and every story he does. He's not on their level. He's not a multi-billion dollar company that can that can do that. So it's what Tommy is saying, he's saying, listen, I want this to be a secondary console in people's homes where the family comes over or your buddy comes over who's really not a gamer and you're able to just pick up this device, play simple games that aren't really too intuitive to play for the most part, and have a great couch co-op fun experience. And that, to me, I think is a really great message. And wh- whether the Miko is, g- is going to exceed or not is a different story. But I think mm-hmm. Tommy's message that he's getting across on this console is really good. 
Yeah, I think his marketing is really strong because he's targeting that niche, like the casual gamers, right? Like your I play Candy Crush on my phone gamers, the mobile gamers, right? He's targeting these people who are generally not the target audience for hardcore gaming consoles. He's like, you can have a casual gaming experience with your friends. And these games are not like I, I believe he said they scale in difficulty. They yes, that's what he was yeah, saying. Yeah. They scale in difficulty. They adjust based on on the player. So if the player is more casual, then the games won't be too hard. If the player is more hardcore. The games will adjust. And also, in his pitch, I believe he said that all the games on the console are going to be exclusive. They said they're going to be remastering some of the old classes for classics from the Atari era. So. There's there's some appeal there. Earthworm Jim 4 is going to be exclusive on this console. You're not going to be able to play that on the Switch or anywhere else. So all those Earthworm Jim fans out there, which there are, are a lot, believe it or not. Trust me, uh, my local arcade here, there are a lot of Earthworm Jim fans. You can only play that on the Amico. So I think that's also a pretty interesting exclusive selling point. We are high on the Amico and we see potential in it. I have to be critical of this device too, obviously, because there's there's a lot of things I am concerned with. Number one is they're appealing to a lot of cell phone style gamers. Yes. What do you think, besides the whole couch co-op experience, people are going to be willing to spend $250 on this console for what it looks like a lot of these games can just be played on the cell phone. Because I got to say, some of these games, like the Earthworm Gym, look really cool. But some of them, like that shark game they were showing, mm-hmm. don't look that good. And I, and I don't really see them being true system sellers. Yeah, see, the thing is, I feel like they need to have a strong launch if they want this console to be good. If they, if they launch this console with like slightly improved phone games... I'm just I'm, I would never I would never buy it because why why would I want to buy a $250 console potentially $250 console to play what I could play on my phone if there's like a good launch with a lot of exclusive titles and a lot of remastered classics that are all exclusive to the console you know maybe it's worth getting so it really depends on how they angle the launch right I feel like if they have a weak launch it's going to flop if they have a strong launch, it has some potential. I do like how he's making it a point that when you buy the game, you own the game. There's no DLC. There's no microtransactions or any of that crap that we hate. It's just you pay between $2.99 and $10.99, and that's all the games. That's all they're going to be priced at. But again, is that going to be enough for someone to pluck down $250 for when they can? it seems like a lot of these games could be played on the cell phone? That remains to be seen. Yes. One thing I do like about the design, though, is it's like an homage to the old Intellivision. Like the con- the controllers look like upgraded versions of the Intellivision. I yeah. think that's pretty cool. And But we, we do have to get into the controllers, though, because that's my other concern, though. Oh, yeah, no, the controllers don't see like I think it's cool. They're an homage <laughs> to the Intellivision. But beyond that, I don't really love them. So the problem with these controllers is I see myself having the same problem I have with the Joy-Con held sideways and that they're so freaking uncomfortable and my hands are going to cramp up as soon as I start playing an intense 2D platformer. Yes. I think that especially if you someone has big hands, I think it's just like it's not really feasible for them to have an intense gaming experience on this console. Exactly, because the thing is for me especially like even for the Switch I have to have a satisfied gaming grip when I play my Switch because my hands cramp up. I just, I find the console's 
really uncomfortable to hold. So I need some kind of grip. But from what I could tell and from what I've heard, there's no real grip design plan for the Amico. It's just you pick this remote up, which is, again, essentially the size of a Joy-Con. And it's mm-hmm. I don't know the dimensions or, or how, how comfortable it really is in the hands, but it just feels very strange to me that there's not like an official real controller that they're trying to sell with this console. Yeah, you'd think there'd be like a pro controller style kind of controller being released too. And like at least with the Switch, like even though the Joy-Cons, like you said, are uncomfortable, generally it does have the option to dock the two con- two Joy-Cons into a central like controller-like thing that makes it into a regular controller. I don't know. Does that come with the Switch? I forget. It does, the... yeah. To me, okay, I, f- yeah. I find that really uncomfortable too. But yes, it comes well, with yeah. the Switch. At least there's an but like at least there's an option, even if it's not the best option. And then the other concern I have too is I could see the appeal of how this controller is going to be good for the board games and the card games that he was mentioning. Like, you know, yeah, playing a game of poker or you know Texas Hold'em or something like that, and having the screen with your cards on the controller. That's a freaking awesome concept. I like that idea a lot. But my concern is how the hell are we going to be able to play Earthworm Jim on that thing with comfortably with that screen you know what i'm saying like yeah my problem with mobile cell phone games in general is trying to play any kind of first person shooter with a a digital touchpad like that is so annoying and it's not precise i i agree i remember when uh pubg mobile came out um because when pubg was like the biggest shooter out there pubg mobile came out and i remember like trying to play that i would play it at the cell phones at target when i used to work there <laughs> and, um, like, wow. and uh, i would just ins- we, we, me and my friends installed it onto the uh the display phones we played PUBG mobile one of the honestly it's it was pretty fun but like the controls are so imprecise you can never play a serious gaming kind of experience on a, a device like that I remember there was this game called Brothers in Arms that tried and it was for a mobile game it really pushed the boundaries of the power on the system Digital touchscreen controls just don't work well. And my concern really is the D-pad looks cool, and I and I understand the whole idea of, like, it's it's going to be a, a, a more unique D-pad because it's going to be able to do all these different directions than we were able to do before. But any game that's going to require these touch interfaces to work, because there's no real buttons. There's no real... You have the D-pad and you have the two buttons on the on the top, but that's really it. And my concern is having these touch buttons. And I know it's going to be a a, a touchscreen that's similar to a cell phone where it's multi-press and stuff. Is that really going to be comfortable? I don't know. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I think that it would not be the most comfortable experience. And one thing I was thinking about, I know the idea is to have family over and stuff, but it seems like it's only equipped with two controllers. And if you have a lot of family members, I don't really know how you're going to have like a big fun like family gaming experience with only the two well they are eight eight controllers are supported for the console oh eight control okay okay yes the only concern with that though is like i know with the switch joy cons are so expensive so i wonder how expensive the individual controllers are going to be for this console yeah that's the thing too because he hasn't really talked about that and again it, since these are because they're originally going to go with a, a simpler touchscreen that was found on like the nintendo ds and 3ds which is a you know one input touchscreen with a stylus kind of control but now since he's going to a touchscreen that's more akin to phones and, and multi-press 
that's going to bring the price up, and that's going to bring the price of the controllers up if we need to buy it. It's important to note here that we keep saying this, but their marketing strategy is what's going to make this console either really, really, really take off or at least be well-known to people because I respect the passion that Tommy and his team has because he brought on a lot of people who did work for the Wii, actually, and what made that console so successful. And I I do like the idea that Tommy is trying to get that kind of marketing and uh, trying to bring people into stores and bring people to demo and try this thing out and say, hey, this is what the Amico can do. Try it out, walk it to a store, try the display and see how you like it. Because that's how the Wii really became successful is because it was word of mouth marketing. It was strategy to try to get people to try the device and then they want it. So I think yeah. if, if this console is going to succeed, and the, really I think the only way it, it can succeed is if their marketing strategy is really top-notch and they're able to convince people that this is a great secondary device to have in their home. Exactly, especially because I feel like the market has never been really kind to third-party consoles. You really have like, and by third-party, I mean like parties that are not like your primary console providers like Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. Like the Ouya, for example, is like the most prevalent example I can think of. And that, that thing flopped, so. But what's important to note here, though, this is not crowdfunded like the Ouya. And I mm. think that is going to be a big thing because we know the Atari VCS and all those co- those those crappy consoles that are kickstarted that don't work, right? Mm. Those were all kickstarted, and they and a lot of times in those kickstarters, they take the money and they kind of develop it to other things that are mismanaged. What I like about this, though, and what Tommy's saying is he's saying, "Hey." The product is in our hands. We have a beta product right here, and we're all independently funded. We're not depending on the consumer to crowdfund and back this console. And that, to me, is a huge selling point because he's going to try to get this into stores, which the Ouya really failed to do. And and again, the yes. problem with the Ouya was gross mismanagement in marketing, gross mismanagement in the company in general, whereas this, I feel like they're a lot more stable and they're in a good position to set themselves up to be a good secondary console. Related to that, I think if you're independently funded, you have a lot more stake in the success of the product. Exactly. you're losing all of your money, not just crowdfunded money. Obviously, losing crowdfunded money is horrible. You don't want to do that, but it's like you're not bankrupting yourself. So it's like he really obviously wants this to succeed. Tommy is going to really do everything he can because he knows that he is the CEO of Intellivision. This is his product. This is his brand. He wants to be successful, and he's not depending on the independent funds of us, the the customer who gets pissed off. And and if the if the company's mismanaged and it takes a long time, like Tommy's still set, despite what's going on, because he's been prepared for this for a while, he's still set on that 10, 10, 20 release date. If he's able to really, really hit that date and convince people that this is a console that we should own, I think that he's in a great position to do so. The only thing that would concern me for his marketing strategy of people coming to stores is I'm wondering, you know, the timing of when things are going to return to normal would really impact that strategy, you know? Yeah. Depending on how much time he actually has to promote his product and show off demos and stuff like that. A lot of what can make this console successful and what can make it fail is dependent on the state of the world, which is obviously out of anybody's control. Yeah, unfortunately, Uh, it's very much out of his control. Like I was saying, though, 
this has the potential of really working for him if we start congregating together and people want couch co-op experiences. It really may well help him. It really may well help him. Yeah. So that's kind of it on the on the intelligent. I think that was a very fair thing because I see there's all these kinds of crazy people on YouTube. Not to throw any shade at anybody, but there's a certain podcast out there who we're not going to mention who who likes to pick on the Amico and stuff like that, but they're not being objective. They're not being fair. I think yeah. this was a great discussion on the Amico about what's going to work for them and what's not going to work for them and what our yeah. concerns are, what, what our positive things are, because there are definitely positive things to be to see here. And there's a lot of potential, but there's also things to be very concerned about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it also has motion control capabilities it in does. the little controllers. Yeah. So that might, the games might be tailored more towards that than relying on the small buttons. Cause I know we were nitpicking the, well, not nitpicking, but we were critiquing the small buttons, but you know, maybe some might be tailored more towards motion controls and that might alleviate some of the concerns about the buttons and the touch screen. I don't know, but We'll see. I feel like a lot of people are kind of done with the whole motion control gimmick. Oh, I know I am. But you know, like... I am too. Like, we had the fun in the Wii, and it worked for certain games, but eventually it became the point, especially looking at the games now, that half of them were just wiggle the Wii remote, and then you do the action, which you could accomplish by hitting a button. Honestly, the the best uh, motion control games were Wii Sports, and I think that shows just how, um, <laughs> how little they had an impact. It was Wii Sports and then the one Skyward Sword, the Zelda game. That was the only games that really took advantage of motion control. The other ones, yeah. like Mario Galaxy did fine with the pointer. Like, it did stuff with that. But in terms of actually shaking the Wii Remote, it, it just, it, it was a concept that I think a lot of people are sick of. And that's another concern here. Are people going <laughs> to, how good are the motion controls going to be here where people are going to want to go back to that concept? That's true. How are people going to respond to I, an attempt to shift the market back to motion controls because i feel like the market was like oh the wii kind of innovated this whole motion control thing and then they started the doing things with the connect and stuff and the playstation had their own the playstation move playstation yeah. move yeah <laughs> i think vr has kind of taken over that idea of you are in the game because you in vr you physically feel like you're in the game so i don't think motion controls can really capture that same idea anymore because vr exists and vr is improving so 100 percent. yeah great great point thanks but yeah i think i think it's hard for i but i don't think that's the angle of these motion controls i believe that it's just going to be you know some fun games you're controlling a little spaceship and you're just moving it around maybe you're wiggling the controller and that's how you shoot or something i don't know they were doing one one like you know missile command where you you move the Instead of using the D-pad to move, you can quickly like move the, the controller around, and that's how you can like quickly get to one spot on the grid to the other. Yeah. So I think I think that's like the motion controls are gonna be intertwined. I don't think they're gonna be the the primary selling point. Cause I think we're past that in the industry now. It'll be interesting to see how well this console does. Again, I'm I'm excited to see the potential of this. What's the downside of trying to have another gaming console that might be successful? If this is successful. What's wrong with that? But the other console is pretty cool that's coming out. And there's a lot of consoles that are that are kind of in this vein of remaking a old-style console and making it HD compatible with cartridges. But this one, this one definitely has my attention. And that is the Analog Pocket. This one looks so cool. This thing looks so freaking badass. And I cannot wait to get my hands on this thing, dude, because... This thing is going to be a um, uh, 
what they basically call it is a kind of a remaster console almost where it doesn't play games off of emulation. It plays the physical hardware from the game and has zero input lag, zero latency, and you're actually playing these games in HD upscaled settings. Some of the old consoles that they're going to be having from here are going to be from the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, the Game Boy Advance, and there's going to be even adapters that will let you play with Neo Geo Pocket Games and Atari Linux and potentially Turbo Express games. And if you go on the uh, Analog Pocket website, which there'll be a link in the description below, you can see it's in the form factor of a Game Boy, but the design just looks so modern and sleek, and it looks so comfortable to play. Yeah, to me, it kind of looks like the if the Game Boy Color was released today, this is what it would look like. And it looks really cool. It's kind of like you time travel a little bit. And you're like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? But it's actually a really, it's a really sleek design. And I like the idea of this is how we can preserve this generation of consoles. Because I have a Game Boy Color, but not everybody does. Why would you want to purchase a Game Boy Color, which might not work when you could emulate a game, right? But some people don't want to emulate games. And now this is an alternative that is sleek. It ups and it's actually better quality than you'll ever get on an emulator it's an lcd screen so it's a it's a modern screen the resolution on on these games are going to be 1600 by 1440 which is uh for perspective that's 10 times the resolution of the original game boy and it's gonna have its own um uh digital audio workstation built in as well that they're calling nano loop and basically, it's it's going to be designed for music uh, production and creation that you can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So say if you like you like the retro style of like like old Game Boy MIDI files and like that kind of music, then you can create your own using this this program that is innate with their their product. It's pretty crazy. And what I'm really excited for too, dude, is that they're releasing a dock for this thing in the light of the Nintendo Switch that you're able to just put in. It's going to output HDMI display to your TV. And if you have a controller, specifically a 8 controller, you can play with a real standard controller these classic games on your TV. It is very cool. And it is compatible with the original cartridges, correct? It's compatible with the original Game Boy, Game Boy Color. Yes. Yeah, the idea is you take your cartridge from your Game Boy Advance, Pokemon Emerald, you stick it in there, and boom, you're playing at a high resolution, and you're able to stick that thing on the TV with the dock. Which is awesome. Now, the only... Since I think we need to be objective here and look at both perspectives, just like we did with the uh, last one, do they have their own, like, games coming out for this console, or are they just relying on the the old cartridges? I don't know if they're really going to be developing games specifically for this device. I think it's more meant to be like a retro throwback kind of device. Because, yeah, the, the only thing I was thinking of, and don't get me wrong, I think this is really cool and I love it. Um, but the only thing I'm thinking of is I know these games are kind of hard to find. The original Game Boy games, yes. the original Game Boy Color, Advance. Those games are kind of hard to find these days. And while I have some of them because I grew up with the systems and I have some still with me, some people who might want to just who don't have them and might just want to experience the retro game like in a modern way, it might be kind of hard for them to get those games. That is obviously a concern because the ability to get games for this thing is going to be difficult if you don't already have 
a Game Boy uh, Advance and have the game. So I agree with you. That is definitely a concern to be had. Of course, they can't officially support emulation because, you know, that's that's a violation of legal rights. I do agree that one thing that Analog, I think, would really benefit from is if they have some kind of developing company because it would get people to play modern-style retro games. What I mean like that is a game like Undertale, right? Yeah. It's clearly designed to be a throwback to the Earthbound series. Or a game like Binding of Isaac, too. Exactly. If they're able to get those games on the analog pocket that you just download a micro SD card from the analog store and you load them into the, the pocket and it plays it, I think that would be such a cool idea. And I really hope they consider that at some point. I think that would be awesome. And I think that would really expand the usefulness and the appeal of this console if there was, like, you know, many different ways for them to market it it's not just like oh if you have these games or you want to buy these games for a price this is the a great new modern way to play it i think it's great if it's like you could do this but also we have these options too why not go that step further and get people because this console it's a 199 console it's not cheap yeah but it's actually you know it's in the same price range as the amico so if people want this as a secondary console and again that you can dock and as a love letter I think it'd be really cool that if if you could play games that are meant to be played with a directional D-pad and only a few buttons, again, like Binding of Isaac, like Undertale on this device, I feel like the appeal would be so much higher and it would get a lot of people interested who don't have access or don't want to pay the uh, sometimes the crazy prices to get their hand on Game Boy games. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is kind of what I see being a really good option for them. And now I, I see on their website, because I'm, I'm on their website right now, there's um, there's a screen here that says like save and restore. Are they gonna have like save state kind of compatibility with these consoles? Uh, I believe they do because um, I think that's what they did with the other clone consoles, right? That they made. Yeah, because one thing that is problematic about those older games, I know since I, every I have a couple from my childhood. For example, my Pokemon Gold version, um, the battery no longer saves on the actual cartridge. So if I wanted to play through Pokemon Gold on my cartridge, I have to replace the battery. And granted, I know that's not that hard, but if there was a console that I could purchase where I could plug my Gold cartridge in and I could just use the same feature on the console to save my game, that'd be pretty cool because then I don't have to buy batteries for all of my old Game Boy games and I could play them again without having to learn how to replace the batteries. There was not even an estimated release date before you know, before the virus started happening. Yes, so. I know. I see on the website it says 2020, but it, unlike the Amico, they don't have like a very set date. So that could always change. Right. And this was announced probably like, I believe it was late to mid last year that they announced that this was coming out. And even then they were, they were just very broad of a 2020 release date, no month or date or whatever like that. So I don't know when this is going to come out, but if they need to take every single extra little bit of time they need to get this thing right, I am so down for that because as much as I love the Switch, it's a great console. It's not really a portable console enough for me. What I mean like that is like on my way to work, going to the train and stuff like that, mm. carrying the Switch with me all the time isn't always practical because I have my tools, I have my laptop and stuff it's like that. It's not pocket-sized. This, exactly. This is pocket-sized. And this is designed where I can either throw it in my pocket or throw it into a, a spare pouch I have in my backpack with a tiny case with like 
a regular hard drive case, which I have a ton of anyway, mm-hmm. and stick it in there while there's this huge case that I have to put my Switch in with the protective cover and stuff. So that, to me, is what's really appealing about this thing as well. I mean, it better be pocket-sized. Pocket's in the name. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because I'm just excited to have a, a console that is going to be designed like with a real nice LCD screen. Because as cool as the 3DS was and you know the DS was and stuff like that for being a portable device and how convenient was to carry that around obviously what held the devices back was its power and its screen it was it was only well the resolution was like less than 480 so yes. this screen being a nice beautiful design hd resolution screen and you're obviously going to want to have a screen protector on this thing if you crack your phone you better protect one of these because this is probably pretty fragile too and there is no otter boxes for these things so like <laughs> <laughs> yeah no otter boxes at least not yet yeah, but I'm excited, and then the fact that you can dock this thing makes me even more hype. One thing, though, that is worth noting is I believe the dock is sold separately. So if you want the yes. docking experience, it's the 200 for the pocket plus however much the dock costs. Right now, I don't know how much the dock costs either. I don't think they they didn't say any of that yet. So I would think it would be like in the $50 range, yeah. maybe even a little less. I honestly I, I honestly see it being around the same price as like the, some of the third-party Switch docks. Yeah, I just don't want it to be $80. Oh, no, no, I don't think that would be wise. <laughs> because as a little sidetrack here, there's no way the Nintendo Switch dock is worth 80 bucks. No, of course not. There's no way. Dude, I would have a secondary it's a piece dock. piece of plastic. <laughs> Dude, exactly. It is not worth me spending another $80 to have another dock in my house when I can just unplug the damn thing and put it on my on my computer or put it in my bag or something like that. Why is it 80 freaking dollars, Nintendo? I have no it's idea. It's $80 because people will spend $80 for it. That's why. It's like, but I feel like if it was cheaper, you'd get more people buying it, though. Oh, of course. You know, like if it was 40 bucks or 50 bucks. People would be more intended to buy a secondary dock than it would for eighty bucks. Now I'm never gonna buy a second. I barely use my dock. I play handheld all the time. Oh, you're so you're mostly handheld gamer when it comes to the switch. Yeah, you know, when it comes to the switch, I, I mostly play handheld. Oh, okay. Now now do you have to have a like me a satisfy grip on there or any kind of grip or you just play it, you know, raw, just no grip? <laughs> I just play I play it raw. <laughs> uh, you play raw, wow. Yeah, I know it's crazy. <laughs> um honestly I, I feel like my my switch gaming sessions are not usually like that i don't really play intense games on handheld like if i'm playing like smash ultimate on my switch i'll dock it because i want to play with gamecube controller but if i usually what i play handheld is i'll play like animal crossing or fire emblem and like fire emblem's a turn-based game so i'm not gonna i don't have to rush usually i'm thinking too before i make moves and animal crossing like the movements are let's be real pretty pretty basic <laughs> like i'm, I'm yes. catching bugs and i'm cutting down trees well i actually i, I don't usually cut down the trees deforestation's bad but uh because you could just tap them infinitely and get the wood but uh yep yeah that's what i do yeah i never make the iron axe i always just make the stone axe the stone yeah. me too <laughs> but um yeah so like i i don't usually play those games docked i would play like games where i have more intensive movements docked there you go nice tangent yeah nice little tangent there but i just love that you can play this either with a usb controller or with an 8-bit dell bluetooth it's really cool so oh, it's awesome so was there anything else that you want to add about the analog pocket because i am super excited for this console and i can't wait to get my hands oh, on i'm this really thing. excited for it too and i i think i'm going to definitely look into this because i have a lot of cartridges that i would like to play 
Yeah, and and as a quick side note as well about Analog as a company, all of their products have been extremely high quality, and their reputation—they're not like a uh, uh, an Atari VCS or anything like that, or, or an Ouya. Better yet, an at games crappy clone console. Soldier Boy <laughs> game console. At- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's none of those. I have faith that this console is going to be really good because their company, their company's reputation has been good. I have no doubt that this is not going to be a flop. I think it's one thing that I, I was thinking of this whole time while we were talking about these two consoles is like, look at the influence the Switch has had on these new consoles. There's a dock. Oh, yeah. There's those new controllers on the Amico look like Joy-Cons. They kind of function like Joy-Cons. Yep. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some uh, some Switch influence on these future third-party consoles. I know, dude. And finally, it it feels like forever since Nintendo had influence on the gaming industry. You know, they have. And again, the Switch is, is such a successful console that all these great ideas that were taken from it are, are going to be applied to these devices too. So I cannot wait. We're going to wrap up the show real quick because there was some news about the uh, Xbox Series X and the PS5. And I wanted to know your thoughts because... Obviously, these are the two kingmakers. These are the two th- the two consoles that people were really looking forward to coming out this year in limited su- limited supply quantity, of course. So far, what are your impressions about these two consoles? So my main impressions, um, the first thing I noticed when I s- I just saw like people talking about these things on Twitter. Is that the PS5 controller is kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So they review the PS5 controller and it reminds me of that like boomerang style controller that Sony did previously. Yeah. It looks weird. That and also it's just like they removed the colors from the from the buttons, which I don't know how I feel about that. And I, I saw someone do like a mock-up of what it would look like with the traditional PlayStation colors. Looks way better. So I don't know what this whole I saw that mock up too. Yeah, I yeah. don't know what this whole um this whole let's remove all the color from our our console uh our console's controller ideas. I, I feel like that's not something people are interested in. But because like think about you know the casual the casual gamers who are gonna be maybe trying out the PS5, like say they're at their friend's house or whatever, and then you're trying to tell them what button to press. You're like, oh uh press the square button, and yes, there's a square, but isn't it easier to be like, oh just it's the red one. You know, like there's a color to it. Everybody can identify colors, but it's like you have to look at the shapes a little bit more critically than colors, I feel. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, absolutely. And and I also don't like the color scheme on this. I don't like the white and black mix. I just like, I like controllers to be one solid color for the most part. Or I guess the example I always go back to is like the GameCube controller. Yeah, that's, I guess you can kind of call that a multicolor controller. Well, but the only buttons the only are multicolors the are only buttons. Exactly. And color so, buttons are good. Yeah, like I don't need the analog six to be black, and I just wish they just made it one solid color and make the buttons colorful. It's just it's just really weird, and I don't I don't think the white and the black really mesh well from a design either. Yeah, no, I I don't think so either. I think I think you could do a black and white design pretty well. I just don't, I don't like the proportions on it. I feel like no, the proportions are. Very I feel strange. like the white is like the main focus of it, and the bottom's just like oh, and the the analog sticks are black. I feel like it's not right. really like an equal kind of design. I feel like the design, I don't know. I just don't like the design of the controller. And to be honest, no, I agree. I feel like with console gaming, the appeal is you have a controller and that's the, and you're sitting down on your couch in front with the controller and you're playing. Cause like 
because consoles are never going to be more powerful than the best computers, right? The I appeal is, oh, this is something that everyone can kind of get their hands on and like you have controllers and like we have our own chat rooms and stuff that the appeal is like it's supposed to be you know more accessible i think but, right a more streamlined experience and granted i'm not saying the controller being a weird color is making it less accessible but i'm saying it, the controller is a really important aspect of the console so having a weird design i don't know how i feel about that but maybe that's just me <laughs> right but yeah I, I don't know i feel like it's an interesting design I am sure it's going to be fine, but I heard that because of people's criticisms, there was some there was some talk about maybe revising it. I don't know if that's just anecdotal. It's just something I saw online. But oh, okay, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I know the idea is to design is to blend past PlayStation designs and you know future PlayStation designs because you know the old Playstations were white. Or the PlayStation One, the original, was white, and then the newer ones were black. The idea is to bring back some of that you know, old color scheme, but we'll see. I do like how Microsoft, though, they're going with what works. They know that people really like the Xbox One controller, so they're just making the Xbox One controller a little bit better. They're making the analog sticks a little more precise. They're making the latency less on this device. So they're taking the main design that people really liked from it and just refining it and making it a little bit better because they realize that you don't have to radically change your controller every single time if people like it. Yeah, And to me... My two favorite controllers right now, well, my three favorite controllers of all time are the GameCube controller, the Nintendo Switch Pro controller, and the uh, Xbox One controller. Those are my three favorite. You got this. You got the Pro controller in the top three. That's nice. It's a good controller. Uh, yeah, I think the Pro controller is really comfortable. I actually think it's more comfortable than the Xbox One controller, believe it or not. But I still like the Xbox One controller a lot. It's, it's my it's my number three. Uh, the reason why it's it's number three behind is because the sticks do kind of wear out after time, and you have to replace them. At least I found. Uh, for the original, like if you get the the uh, Elite controller, which is a lot more expensive, you don't have that problem. But the base controller, the sticks kind of get crappy after a while, unfortunately, and they kind of start cracking inside. I mean, it's not like the old, the good old days with the GameCube controller, where if your stick starts to get worn out, the plastic, the rubber just falls off, and you still got the plastic. Like <laughs> GameCube controller's got two layers. That's why it's so good. <laughs> exactly. So you know that's my problem with the Xbox controllers. You have to take the sticks out and replace them. That's why it's three, but. Yeah, you know, it's just it's a great controller, and there's no reason to really redesign the thing from scratch if we know the console is going to be good. Yeah, I mean, if we know, you know, if we know the controller is going to be good and people like it, why bother re- doing a radical redesign? I totally agree. Like, why reinvent the wheel? Just improve the technical aspects of your controller that could be improved upon. But if people like the design, you're only going to upset people by changing it too drastically. You could make it better. There's ways to make the design better. But I think by radically shifting the way you design your controller, and let's be real, the PlayStation 5 controller, it's only radically changed in color. I'm pretty sure it's roughly the same in terms of how it how it functions. But, you know, I think sticking with classic designs and just kind of rolling forward in that way, it's probably the best way to do it. Right, because, I mean, there definitely is a notable change of designs from the PS4 controller to the PS5 controller, yeah. for sure, uh, other than the color. Like, oh, yeah. It I... definitely... You know, it's more of a boomerang shape than than the PS4. That's true, actually. I, sure. I, I, I didn't think about shape, but you're right. And that that affects how comfortable a controller is to hold and all that kind of stuff. So, and that's really important if you're if you're holding that controller for hours at a time. You know, it's it's and some serious gamers will be. It's it's important. <laughs> right. It's important to make sure that it's comfortable to hold. Because without a comfortable controller, you know, what's the point of playing the console? 
I always felt like. You know. I agree. I think if you don't have a comfortable, like the idea of console gaming, in my opinion, it's always going to be sit in front of the couch, chill, nice, comfortable setting. You're sitting back. You have a controller that's like wireless in your hands. You're able to play. Like I could always just sit at, like if I want to go intense. I mean, I know like the price point for PC is, is generally higher and that's why people will, will go towards console gaming. But now this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think this is important to talk about the prices of consoles are just rising and rising because they're basically becoming PCs. That's a great segue because the power on these consoles are going to be absolutely insane. Now, I'm not going to go over the specs specifically here because it will take too long and they're that's not the focus. pretty complicated yeah. and, and that's not the focus. I had a podcast a couple episodes ago talking about the specs. So you can listen to that or you can listen to the videos I'm going to have in the description talking about the specs. These things are going to be beefy and powerful. Austin Evans did a, a complete teardown of the um, Xbox Series X recently, and the the CPU power and the GPU power on these things are going to rival any kind of like high performance PC on the market now. And they're basically like mini ITX builds if you if you really look at it. Like it's it's like the Xbox Series X is just a mini ITX tower, and even the way it cools itself is is going to be that way. I want to know how much you think these things are going to be priced because I can see this going one of two ways. I can see them saying, you know what. We want to get these things selling quickly. We don't want to have this generational gap that we did the last generation and kind of wait for people to catch up. We just want to get this thing out on the market, get this thing out the door for $400, and that's going to be it, and sell it for a loss. Or do you think that these companies are going to say, you know what? We can't sell it for $400. It's just we're going to lose too much money if we do it that way. Let's start with $500. The max I see them going is $550. I don't know if they can do another $600 console again after after the PS3. I just cannot see that happening. Yeah, no, I don't think that would work. I know the rumor is it's going to be around $500. That's the rumored That's pricing. That's what I think. Um, I think. I think that seems reasonable to an extent. I think that... Um, the last thing you'd want they'd want to do is launch these things at ridiculously high prices. Like they, if they're hitting like 600, 700, like no one's going to people are going to take their sweet time to transition. They're going to wait for price drops. Exactly. Especially and they don't want that. Especially cuz like with going from the 360 to the 1 was cuz I I was a 360 gamer that generation and I eventually got an Xbox One which I no longer have in my possession I lent it to someone um, but <laughs> I believe I was hesitant to buy the Xbox One because I just felt like the price point was high and a lot of the games that I wanted to play were still on 360 they were releasing things at the same time for dual consoles right they were like releasing some launch titles for 360 and one so and I think what they need to do is they need to be like okay listen 500 and it's like it's about the same as the last generation so it's if you were able to buy that one you're able to buy this one and we have all these launch titles that are exclusive to our new console they're not going to be on the one or they're not going to be on the ps4 so if you want to play these new really exciting looking games you need this new console the thing that i'm really that i'm more excited about this generation than the last generation was there's a clear clear performance um gap that they're trying to hit and they thought that, oh, you know, we can go from the Xbox 360 to the Xbox One and the PS3 to the PS4 just with adding, uh, you know, using the Jaguar CPU infrastructure, add more cores to the CPU. And again, without getting too technical, that can only go so far. And that's why we had those mid-generation gaps. They realized that when Battlefield 4 
came out and it was running at 900p <laughs> uh that was not a good sign because we were well into hd 1080p at that point and for the premiere game that people were buying the console for to run at 900p was not a good start to the generation yeah that's so, your launch you need your launch that, to be strong that's the launch and i don't know about you but i just feel like even eighth gen gaming Scott the Waz mentioned this too. I feel like the eighth generation was a little bit disappointing. There wasn't really a, there was only a handful of games that I was like, I absolutely need to play that. And that was like Red Dead Redemption 2. And God, I can't even think of The Witcher 3 maybe, but I didn't even really play The Witcher 3 that much. So what I really want from this ninth generation is I hope that we really get to see how gaming has evolved and, and really take advantage of uh, what ray tracing can offer, what AI and artificial inte- artificial intelligence, I know it's the same thing, but um, artificial inte- intelligence is going to do when fighting bots and playing on, on story modes and stuff like that. That's what I really want to see. It really just felt like the, the eighth generation consoles was the seventh gen with a new coat of paint. Yeah. And again, I wasn't really that fan of many of the games that came out the eighth generation. There wasn't too many where I really like had sleepless nights over and, or, oh man, I can't wait for this game. Like, you know, the only game that was kind of like that and it wasn't even really was Red Dead Redemption 2. I feel like the eighth generation was definitely a little bit underwhelming in terms of just the amount of games that were like like you said really eye-catching like these are the games i need i think there was there was good games and i'm not gonna pretend like there wasn't you know an appeal to it but there's a reason that i gave one of my friends my xbox one to use because i i there's nothing really keeping me attached to that console Um, (laughs) right but i think you know this and that's just my personal opinion but I've also there, there was also less time for me to play games. So it was it was a complicated. It's not the Xbox One entirely. I think that the next generation, like you said, really needs to take advantage of all these new features. The eighth generation console, I feel like they needed to play catch up in terms of they released like upgraded versions like, oh, there's the Xbox One that is now able to do 4K and things like that. Right. Like they released Xbox One X. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They released catch up consoles because the original console wasn't powerful enough. And exactly. I think they can't afford to do that again. Right. And I think that's they, they learned their lesson. And that's why these consoles are packed to the brim with specs. And these things are beefy consoles. I mean, this these consoles are going to be probably more powerful. Well, they definitely are going to be powerful than more, my custom PC I have now. So, And they're going to be more powerful than a lot of custom PCs now. Because if you try to build a PC with the specs that's in an Xbox One, it's going to cost you over 900 bucks. Like, you know, not even kidding. And what's, what is exciting, too, is that obviously the games are going to be really optimized for the console. So they talked about multiple game saves that you can have going on. So you like you can have multiple games running in the background so you could play Gears of War. And then if you want to switch over to like, like Halo Infinite or something, it switches really quick because both games are really run in the background. So those features are going to be really, really interesting. But I'm glad they're taking the next step in trying to get people to... Uh, make a true evolution of gaming. I think people were not happy with the way the transition was from the 7th gen to the 8th gen. So I hope that they're 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 going to try to really course correct. And again, it looks like they are between the 8th and the 9th. I agree. I think that they're um the idea is they kind of learned their lesson. They realized their console wasn't powerful enough and they needed to really correct that. And one thing I just want to 
point out is that the Xbox, the the new Xbox, it um it looks like a computer tower, which I think is kind of funny. But, yes, it looks like a, a mini ITX tower. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> which I'll I'll link a description of what that looks like. But yeah, it looks like it literally just looks like a mini ITX build, and I personally like it a lot. Yeah, I actually I think it's kind of cool. I I I kind of like the the PlayStation 5's design a little bit more. I don't like the controller design, but I kind of I kind of like the sleek looking well, PlayStation wait, 5. Wait, so well, the, the mock-up, PlayStation the 5 mock-up design. The mock-up. Yeah, okay. So you so I was going to ask you about that cuz that was going to be like the last thing we talk about here. Sony has not shown what the hell their console looks like That's other true. than the demo. That's true. Kit. I think I think I may have uh forgotten that for a second and I was looking at Google Images and I was like, that looks yeah. cool. But now I heard rumors that they the reason why we haven't seen what the, the actual, you know, unit looks like yet is because they're having heating problems with the device. And so they had to redesign the um the the shell of the unit, you know, the actual frame. Because it was having severe heating problems. Now, if that's the case, that's a little scary. I've heard rumors from guys from Windows Central and other places that games may be, developers may be having a little bit of a harder time developing on the PS5 than the Xbox Series X. So, again, I don't know. These are all kind of industry in and ins and outs, you know, rumors, Jason Schreier kind of, kind of news that we're hearing right now, kind of rumor-esque stuff. But... If that's the case, I hope they can figure out those overheating problems because that's a big problem. That is not good. Because these consoles, they're going to get warm. And and I like how Microsoft in the Austin Evans video was very open and honest on how they're cooling it and how how they're designing the console uh, the way they are to get the, the heat flow and stuff. So if... Listen, if this is a design Sony needs to take to really get the console working properly and heated, by all means do it. I mean, I don't care what the hell this thing looks like. Oh, it's a brick I. that's going to sit under my TV. This is coming from me where I'm a personally, I'm a big fan of the way the GameCube looked. And not a lot of people like the I way the GameCube looked, the GameCube. but <laughs> I personally, I personally love the lunchbox style look. So I don't care how these consoles look. I just want them to play well and not to overheat and worry about them frying my 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 television. Listen, I'm not gonna buy a console unless if I can sneak it into a school lunchroom. All right, I need <laughs> no consoles are go are going anywhere so... unless if they are designed like a cube. That's no, I'm um... so you know if if they do the demo unit. Do the freaking demo unit. I doubt it's going to look like that. If they're going to really, uh, you know, need to, to keep the price down and, uh, you know, they're, they're struggling to, to cool these things, uh, you know, I don't know what's up. So it will be interesting to see where PlayStation is and if and when we will see the, um, you know, the uh, the shell of the unit in the couple in the coming months or if they're just going to wait till, you know, more closer to the summer before we see it. Who knows? Who knows? I know I've I've heard rumors that, you know, most of the rumors are saying these things are going to be 500 and that they're like, but, but some some are saying they could be cheaper. Some are saying they could be more expensive. So it's something that we're going to have to see in terms of, you know, when they come out. And we I want to see what the PS5 can handle because we have a pretty clear idea of what the Xbox can handle. So I think they really need to, if they want to have, you know, the same kind of stake in this game that Xbox does, they really have to address that. Exactly. Were there any final thoughts that you wanted to give on the Xbox Series X or the PlayStation 5? Or do you think that um, we kind of covered it all um, that we wanted to cover? I feel like we covered everything we wanted to cover. I think we just want to do like a quick overview. So I think that was pretty solid. Yeah, it was a quick overview because we had an episode before. And, and again, uh, I want to... 
I want to really start seeing what the gains look like on these things because I'm seeing the power. And again, I'm, I'm we're seeing old Xbox One games run on the on the Series X and stuff. I want to see what Halo Infinite looks like, man. I want to see what these games that are truly designed for next gen experiences are going to be and perform on these systems. That's what I'm excited for the most. Same, and that's really what I think we need to see to know if these consoles are really as good as they say. Yep, especially for the I PS5 agree. because we haven't seen anything. Exactly. Yeah, we literally haven't seen anything. We just saw Mark Mark Cerny uh, give like a, a classroom speech. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He just lectured uh, us. Yeah. Just he just lectured us. You know, like I felt like I was in classroom and I had to take notes on what was going on. So uh, you know, not the best press conference, but yeah. So we'll but see. But they so, can bounce back. I'm sure they will. But oh yeah, no, they will. It's just you know, again, it it was a scramble because they were expecting to go to GDC and they, I think they just presented the same conference to GDC in the public. So. So, Jeremy, thank you so much again for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it. You're more than welcome to come on again. I'm sure you will. I would love to, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get you on again, of course. There's so much gaming news to talk about soon with these consoles coming out. And and when uh, when we actually see games natively running these systems that are designed for them, uh, we'll definitely go over that. Yeah, I, for sure. I want to see how these consoles can finally bring power to the players, like GameStop says. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see. Oh man, yeah, ending on a GameStop note—that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's been—it's been a common theme for the past couple episodes. So it has. Yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah, the GameStop theme has been has been popular the last few episodes. So we had to sneak it in there at the end. <laughs> so, Jeremy, thanks for coming on the show, dude. This was a great episode. This was episode seven of the Generation Zen podcast. We got a lot more exciting episodes coming to you soon and we'll see you all in the next episode later everybody later